Hey, what's up? This is Maddie Mullins, and you're listening to Frequency.fm. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Frequency Podcast, and it's so good to be back, Joe. Welcome back. <laughs> it seems like it's been a really, really long time, uh, but maybe it hasn't been yeah. long enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reality is, and everyone knows if they've been a long-time listener, that um, you know we go in fits and spurts sometimes because of li- our lives and uh, ministry and family life and eldership and all the different things that, you know, and day jobs, let's not forget yeah. that. Um, but the reality is we, I think people know us by now that we're unapologetic about the fact that um, we have other responsibilities. And and if people are still listening to us, it's because they appreciate who we are because we are who we are. We're not trying to pretend to be something or, we're not. Or they're gluttons for punishment. Those people exist, too. <laughs> yes. they're, they're masochists. Um, but that's really a topic for another episode, I, I'm fairly certain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it has been a while, and it's been busy. Um, you know, and there's been positives, and there's been negatives, you know, the uh, such as life can be sometimes. But um, I know we've recently posted... Uh, a brief update from you, Joe, on on uh, what's transpired in your life personally. Did you want to just explain that briefly before we move on to our episode? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, um, and certainly uh, people could go back and listen. The update was only about three minutes long. But um, toward the end of May, um, uh, it became necessary for my dad to move uh, in with my wife and I because his... Uh, um, he wasn't doing very well health wise and his wife also was just not in a position to, to take care of him. Uh, and very shortly after he moved in, um, he met with his doctor and they kind of said, all right, buddy, this is pretty much it, you know, in the line. So, um, Mm -hmm. said, you know, he'd have a, a couple of months, maybe three or something like that. And, uh, he, uh, elected to, um, live with my wife and I, um, to, uh, until the end, which allowed mm-hmm. he and his wife, um, it helped his wife transition to that time when he wasn't going to be around anymore. And she'd been taking care of him for 12 years and just, you know, it's a, it, care, taking yeah. care of people is exhausting. If you haven't done it, you, you have no idea how um, quickly that can devolve into something unhealthy uh, for you as the caretaker. Yeah. So we wanted to give her some respite and, uh, you know, we fed my dad ice cream uh, and, uh, and Chinese food for two months. Um, <laughs> you know, things that he wasn't get necessarily eating all the time because, you know, he wasn't supposed to eat the ice cream before, but you know, when you had two months left to live, it's like, uh, okay, who's going to stop me? Uh, and then <laughs> yeah. his wife doesn't really care much for Chinese food. Uh, and so he was like, every, you know, twice a week, he's going to this Chinese restaurant, taking his buddies over there, uh, and having uh, Kung Pao chicken. So, uh, it was pretty <laughs> yeah. a pretty unique uh, privilege, but um, heavy heavy loss, and uh, still yeah. still pretty much in the denial phase. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I'm pretty good about joking about things, but then occasionally it's like somebody swings a, a heavy hammer and hits me in the gut. And uh, right now is not mm-hmm. one of those times, and I will not let it be. So, 
Yes. Yeah. No, and I appreciate your transparency and honesty in it. And again, you know, we're, we're not just trying to pump out positivity <laughs> um, all the time. The reality is, I mean, you've, you've even had uh, Katie Gustafson on talking about self-care yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, biblical counseling. And um, there's a, a big part of our lives that we do have to address issues and we do have to face those realities. Um, and if we believe scripture to be a hundred percent true, then you look all through scripture and there's a lot of hurt. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of suffering. Um, there's also joy and that's the hope we have in Christ. And, um, you know, that is why we exist because ultimately it's to point people to, to Christ and, um, to walk the journey with others who are trying to do that in in a way that can help others. So, um, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's also been, uh, busy time here, you know, it's a summertime, but we have a school and there's a lot of administration that happens, but then bam, we have a, a conference going on. That's and, TGC, uh, right? So the last, yeah, the Gospel Coalition yeah. Atlantic Canada. And, um, you know, we have a lot of speakers and uh, women's track and men's track and... Wait, wait, there's you know, there's great... running? <laughs> oh, ha, ha, it's a dumb joke, thing. Yeah, more, yeah, yeah, geek, geeky conference term for going down one path or another, right? Oh, cross-country um, then. Okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, there you go, yeah. Yeah, it's more about endurance. Yeah. But no, it's been good. And, you know, we've had, you know, some notable people, people that would be recognizable. You know, Tim and Aileen Challies are there. And, um, you know, n- not necessarily known for his speaking, more his blogging mm. as a blogger and... and um, you know, we have Colin Smith, who's, um, he's actually a Scotsman, but he's in Chicago, actually, and been pastoring there for a number of years. So, no, we've had good good resources. There's a number of other people sharing. And, um, no, it's been good, but it's a long day. You know, you're getting in at 8 o'clock in the morning and not leaving until 10 o'clock at night. So it's definitely a long day. Um, but, you know, along the way, I'm going to be able to interact with some people that would be interesting to talk to. You know, Pat Sabell, who's a, uh, a known worship leader and songwriter in the West Coast, um, who co-writes with a number of artists, Andrew Marcus, that we know. Oh, yeah. um, you know, James Curtis knows him from Toronto Radio, who we've had on the yeah, podcast. Yeah. And, and also, um, yeah, he's, you know, done a lot of co-writing and a lot of uh, uh, co-book writing and commentary on Worship Matters with Bob Coughlin. Great book, yeah. Um, yeah, so we're, you know, I'm hoping to be able to to corner him at some point tomorrow and, and have a quick conversation about what it means to pastor people in worship and lead them well in in a worship environment, liturgy, and things like that. So yeah, busy times here, but um, hopefully we'll be able to to get some conversation about that. Um, but as we move and transition into our feature episode, yeah. uh, you had a chance to talk with uh elias no from no the you City still Harmonic. can't pronounce it oh i still did yeah. it okay let me just okay I, I'm sorry, I gotta go ahead and set i gotta i gotta get provide a bit of context before so we started to rec- we recorded this episode initially about a month ago before all this stuff kind of um, occurred uh with my dad uh, at least in um but before he passed and um at least like four different times dan struggled to say Elias and over and over and over again. So <laughs> finally we just decided, you know what, we can just start all over again. Let's just do the episode over again with the content. And I'll redeem myself. No, no, that was really never part of it because um, if you had done it successfully once, 
I would be able to say he's he's going to get it this time. I know it because he's done it before, <laughs> but you never have. So, Elias, <laughs> all right, Elias, we we apologize. Well, that that if for some reason in PEI, that's the pronunciation of your name. <laughs> yes. Well, and the irony is that I actually played hockey with his brother Sam. Yeah. And in Hamilton was which is a lot easier to say. What Sam? So. I, I'm just going to say Sam's brother from the City Harmonic. Nope. Yeah, do let's that do that. Okay, go for it. <laughs> so we uh, recently talked with Sam's brother from the City Harmonic uh, and the City Harmonic who are actually wrapping up as a band and moving on to different endeavors, church planting, business, a number of different things. Um, but they're actively involved in ministry and all their own churches. And, um, yeah, a lot of great things that are still happening, but as a, as an entity, as a band, they're, they're folding. And Joe had the opportunity to talk with Sam's brother (laughs) about their recent album, a recent release, which was an actual live worship album. Um, so do you want to set the stage, Joe, for the interview? And then we'll dive into that interview. You have set the stage. Uh, You have done very well. So. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoy our interview with Elias Dummer from the Sea Harmonic. Okay, so there's a, a lot of ground to cover, but I want to start by recognizing the new record and maybe the uh, the special circumstances around it. The uh, the album, and hopefully I get this right, Benediction Live, Worship from Churches Working Together in Canada. Um, that was recorded April 29th of this year. This is 2017, if you're listening three years from now, uh, in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and uh, just released on Friday. So just last week on Friday, June 23rd. Um, so congratulations uh, on the release. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a fun weekend. <laughs> oh, I, I imagine. Um, well, well, give me a sense of what the response has been just in the last couple of days. Yeah, no, it's it's been great. I mean, we, I've, as far as I know, the album has been sitting number one in iTunes through the weekend in Canada, for the Christian at least, and has been kind of top 20 in the States. And so it's been for a band that hasn't, you know, been on the radio in a bunch of years, it's been pretty exciting to watch, and and I've just been getting, you know, text messages and emails from friends and folks that coming out of the woodwork and and saying that they appreciate this or that, and so that's been really, really encouraging, and and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, I, I alluded to special circumstances, and I mean it's been part of press releases. It's probably not a surprise to a lot of folks, but maybe you can share with folks what this album represents. Yeah, I mean this album is sort of a for our band um well i guess it very much is like a posthumous album um we recorded our final show in our hometown um which had all kinds of special circumstances around it itself um on april 29th and worked our butts off to get this album out by june 23rd and so that was that's exactly what happened this this benediction album is our sort of farewell and a little bit of greatest hits though i dare to call it that um uh, and, and mostly really just an attempt to to really get the heart of what we have always imagined ourselves to be across and i think a live worship record does that better than anything you know you 
you turned this around very quickly. You just mentioned that. Um, and one thing that I've noticed, and I listen to a lot of music, is that live albums, they just struggle to represent, I don't know how they possibly could, but to represent the energy and the connection that the event itself presented, let's say. Um, yeah. But I don't think that Benediction has that problem. I Listening to it, it, it has an energy that I feel like is stripped in a lot of live recordings. Could you describe maybe the some of the atmosphere and of the concert itself and, and how you felt that it was able to be translated in the recording? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because... I, I've heard that from a few people who've been saying, you know, it, that it's like not raw, but energetic and emotional and all these things. And compared to the room, it still feels so much less so than that room was. So yeah. it, it's, it's funny that, that you say that. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it, I mean, it was our last show with a lot of friends and family and folks who had been in many cases, a part of our recordings. We came out of a pretty unique church movement in our hometown and so uh, having so many folks from that church movement there um, who at one point eight years ago commissioned us out to bring churches together. So it's just sort of this like really bittersweet. And, and I, I guess we went out of our way to end well and we went out of our way to really make this a meaningful night. Um, and, the, and in a weird way, then the recording was a bit of an afterthought. But um, – but it was just a really remarkable night. And so there was a lot of, uh, a lot of energy and, and excitement, enthusiasm and, and emotion in the room. And funny enough, we actually had some issues technically with recording the crowd. Um, so we had planned on using a couple of shotgun mics to capture certain sections of the crowd better than others, or at least just capture them at all. And when we got in uh, to, to, to track the, one of the mics was dysfunction was misfunctioned and it just like we got buzzes and all kinds of stuff. So we ended up having to change it out and kind of change direction in terms of that. And so I feel, I feel like we're lucky that things worked out the way they did with, with the recording. It's a bit of a godsend. Well, absolutely. Well, you, know, you mentioned greatest hits. How did you decide what songs were going to be at this final concert? Well, not this wasn't the final. I think the final was May twentieth, but at this. Well, recording. actually, as a band, as a full band, this was the final one. Oh, okay. So our our mate, we've had we had immigration issues, and so um, the band was not able to book any stateside dates past past April. And so Aaron and I went down and played a show in May, but Josh wasn't able to because he had visa issues. So as as a full band, April 29th was our last show. Um, but yeah, as far as song selection, we, we, we knew going into this that we wanted to make a live worship recording. And so that was probably the dominant filter for us is choosing songs that we know that people loved, that we know that we loved, that had meant something to somebody at some point. Um, but also that we thought churches might like that, that we would sing at our own churches. We've written a lot of different kinds of songs. We've only ever seen ourselves as a worship band, but at the same time recognizing that if I'm going to sit down and listen to a record, I don't actually really want to listen to 65 minutes of congregational easy, <laughs> right? Like yeah. I, I, I want some deeper, some deep diving stuff. I want some songs that are interesting and keep my attention. I want, and I want it all to sort of be this part of this discipleship experience for me if I'm listening to a worship record. And so we've always written records with that in mind was, was sort of this mix of some easily congregational 
and some that are more kind of personal and private or, or songs that are meant to just move you from one place to another. Um, and so when we made this record, we, we, we kind of filtered our songs by songs that we think um, will really take people to a place or could take a church to a place so that we'd sing at our own churches. So that was, that was really the dominant filter um, beyond songs that we knew we couldn't not play. So like if we made a worship a record like this and didn't include manifesto, um, some, <laughs> right. somebody would shoot me. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. You and I were chatting before we, uh, we started the official interview about, um, you know, my first introduction to you guys was a, a 2010 interview with all about worship and your, your music, um, in the, like the introducing, uh, album and, and, um, what was there and kind of the initially really stood out as something that we weren't hearing in the mainstream. There was uh, a lot of, uh, let's call it simplistic um, music, but not necessarily driving innovative. And that's still represented in this release. But do you feel like there's been a transition in the way that we uh, as a consumer, let's say, or even as worshipers accept that music that you created? Oh, definitely. I think there's been a pretty major shift in the last seven or eight years in terms of what worship leaders are willing to consider. Um, I mean, even just if you think that eight years ago, if you didn't have an acoustic guitar and an electric guitar lead in a song, it probably wasn't considered a worship song, period. And now you've got entire albums that are predominantly synth-driven and, and other things. And, and and just the the melody structures have changed. There's a few, you know, I remember back in the day, you know, I'm old enough that I was around for V1 or V1.2 of the worship wars, so to speak. Um, and I remember when there was a time when even just having a syncopated melody was, yeah. consi- was considered a faux pas because yeah. people couldn't sing along. And so... And so I think that has shifted in a major way. Um, and, and even song range stuff, you know, I remember we were often told that some of our songs were too high or too low or too this or too that. And, and it, there's definitely songs that are both higher and lower and, and have a much wider range. Lately, you get a lot of chorus jumps in congregational worship songs where the chorus full seems octave. to be in full octave. Yeah. I'm like, I never once went full octave. I mean, that's crazy. So it's, <laughs> so it's, it, it, yeah, I think, I think there has been a major shift in what people are willing to look at. Um, and we had always written those songs from the perspective of a four piece rock band with some friends, um, which, because we came out of small churches, like when none of us were at a church that could afford production in any meaningful way. And so it was just, it was just always us trying to be creative and work with, the limitations, both talent-wise and otherwise, that we had, which I think is what makes any album worth listening to, is hearing the thing, you know, what's often perceived as somebody's great talent in their own mind is born of some serious limitation or, or inability. Yeah, yeah, something that we, we find ourselves talking about a lot is the idea that, you know, a blank piece of paper is terrifying from, an art, from a creative perspective to a lot of people and doesn't necessarily lend itself to excellence where when you have constraints then you you are forced to be creative with the tools that are in front of you i totally agree i totally agree and that's whatever those tools are and so i I think you know i think people talk about that with you too they talk about the beatles they talk about all kinds of things that, that the stuff that ends up relatable and meaningful for us is born out of the the yeah, that, exactly that. The sandbox, the 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 
the walls that you have to work within. Um, and, and, and they become assets. I think those, those liabilities become assets. Yes. Yeah. Well, let me, let me uh, shift a little bit as I, as I look back at kind of the, the genesis of the city harmonic coming out of, uh, out of that missional work, the ministry work there in Hamilton and being about cooperation a common mission, working across denominations, not against denominations, mm-hmm. um, with, uh, and really serving the city itself with the city harmonic um, disbanding, so to speak, do you feel like that leaves a, a vacuum in terms of what, what, where you started? Certainly not in Hamilton. I mean, Hamilton is going strong and I was just reading today about a church that's working with several developers in their new church building. Um, one of our core churches, actually one of the churches that have helped us to launch. Um, and they have bought this old school in a rundown neighborhood and in addition to their church, they're doing a, like the building for their church is going to include affordable housing and communities. Like it's just nuts what they're doing. Yeah. Um. So this is, I mean, that's Hamilton right there. So it's it's we were commissioned by the True City group of churches, um, having all come from those churches and having been involved in helping to lead the sort of student side of that. Um. And those events have been going strong since we kind of went out back in 2010, 2009. Um. In fact, Cross Culture, which was the event that I helped to start, which was bringing these students together, cross-denomination lines to go out and serve all day and then worship at night, that worship service became the sort of uh, crucible for the City Harmonic. Um, that event is still going, and they were that it fell on the same day as our last event in Hamilton. And so something like three or 400 of the people at our event on that night were, were had come from Cross Culture having served all day. So... Is there a vacuum back home? No, far from it. Um, Is there a vacuum out there? I don't know. I think one thing that we always tried to be um, was just ourselves, which is four guys from small churches no one's ever heard of back in the day. Yeah. And so I think that that's that's what most people know. And and it, it without worship leaders coming up who are just writing songs that have come out of small churches and small church environments. Um, I think we're left with, in a good way, I mean, a mega church, a church of thousands and thousands on a Sunday morning just has a totally different set of challenges than your church of 100 or 150. And so I think, you know, the gap may well be um, writing songs that are coming out of those kinds of environments and, and are, are intended for those kinds of environments as compared to songs that take a stadium for granted. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to talk just about being an artist, you know, just n- not to depart completely from the city harmonic, but uh, you, you're an artist. Um, one thing that, that is remarkable to me about watching you, your career is the way that, uh, that you've uh, diversified not you know not just in what you're creating but also in from a practical sense how you take care of yourself and uh, your family uh, why is it important to be as an artist to be diverse in terms of let's say career right okay yeah um i i, I don't i don't necessarily want to speak for uh, uh any sort of like a platitude yeah. only because there are people who are amazing at the guitar or just drop dead amazing at the piano or they, 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 you know, they have one thing that they are phenomenally good at. And 
I just have never quite been that guy. I think I'm pretty good at a yeah. bunch of different things. And so I've always kind of been that. I've always had, and, and even in music, I mean, you know, I was in a high school band like everybody else. I was interested in the business stuff. I was interested in the design. I was interested in the art. And so I've always kind of done all of it. Um, and so it, it just so happened that before the City Harmonic took off, I had uh, left my church position, which had been full-time, and had started a small marketing company. And and it was actually a oh, – sorry, my little one's crying in the background. Not but a problem. It, Not a problem. It, was, it was actually a um, – a, a deal I did with a recording studio uh, in our hometown or just outside of our hometown, uh, this beautiful Pilchner Schustel built studio. So I, I said, hey, you guys are launching and opening your doors. I own a marketing agency. I'm also a producer. Why don't I do all of your branding and web work and all that kind of stuff? And instead of paying me, give me studio time. Nice. And, and that's what happened. So yeah. that, that studio time is how we recorded introducing the City Harmonic. So that was, that's just sort of like, for me, having an interest in other things, I've just always seen these things as connected and working. Um, at the same time, I think you and I were talking about this offline a little bit, yeah. but I, at, at the end of the day, I, I think as an artist, and, and probably this says more about me, I mean, I'm, you know, in the Enneagram, I'm a one, I'm not, I'm not like the super emotional, although I'm an emotional guy, I'm, I'm not the like artiste type I'm, I'm far more of a perfectionist. And so, You're so not a four. For, I'm not a four. No, I'm a, I'm a one. And so, so that kind of oneness comes out to play in a whole bunch of different ways. And for me, the needing to provide for my family and do the right thing and the, and the fear that comes along with that played a much bigger role in the art when the art was full time than I was ever able to see in the moment. And so, you know, I think of, I write better songs when I'm not dependent on the songs. When I, I, the tendency towards the pragmatic is a problem. Right. So, so I have to say, okay, if I'm going to write better songs and I'm going to be more honest and be more brave, then I need these songs to not matter until later. I don't, I don't want the songs to matter when I write them. And, and right. by that, I mean, when you are writing for a record, I mean, there was a season in my life where we were just so busy and it was so church every day because we're on tour and all this kind of stuff that there was a time where like it had been weeks or maybe even a couple of months since I'd actually had the opportunity to sit down and like really pray and think and read wow. scripture. Yeah. And we were just so busy. And yet there was a moment where I woke up and I went, we have to have a record written in the next three months. I'd better start reading my Bible. Wow. Yeah. So think about how screwed up that is. You know, like it's, it's just that the pragmatism and I guarantee I am not alone in that in the Christian music world. I know you're so, not. Yeah. So, so for me, like that was a moment and it was actually at the beginning of the process for me. And it was a long one of saying, I can't depend on this because depending on this turns my faith into a business. Yeah. And maybe that's the way I'm wired, but I couldn't do it. So for me, um, having other lines of income, whether that was, uh, and I still own that marketing agency and then went back into developing that again, which is now, you know, a business with employees and all that kind of stuff. Um, but doing that and being involved in a church plant in a way that, um, I don't need the job financially. So I'm part-time by choice, for example, 
Um, and and I've, I've been asked if I wanted to go. I said, no, I'm not going to go full time. I'm going to train worship leaders and help bring leadership to this. Um, but I would rather have a team of other part-time people than maybe full-time here um, in order that I can be a better leader. And it, in, so far, if I compare my leadership at my previous previous role where I was full-time, and now, I mean, there's a good decade in between, but it's it's night and day in terms of my ability to to lead courageously, if you will. Yeah, I, I think that's important for, for folks to recognize. I don't think you're alone. First of all, I'm a two on the Enneagram. Oh, awesome. But, but, but what you share there in terms of um, being pragmatic, you know, um, knowing that if you, um, your family eating depends on your artistic output, how could it not change the way that you approach art? Um, I think the same can be said. There's a reason why I'm not a full-time worship leader. One, I probably couldn't pull it off. But even if I could, um, the idea that the you know my family's livelihood is dependent upon the paycheck of a given church and what if that church's doctrine starts to head a different direction what if there's some decisions made there that um that i'm not in alignment with but i have to pay my bills therefore i'm going to stay with this job exactly uh, I, I you know the idea that you have to kind of sacrifice your integrity for the sake of um making sure my family's okay uh, yeah so. exactly Exactly. And, and I, the previous church, I mean, there was a bit of a leadership change and so much of it was out of anyone's, con- any, well, certainly out of my control. Yeah. Um, and, and through it, trying to do the right thing was, was nigh impossible. And I mean, now, you know, I live in the States. We're here on a visa. My wife is not legally allowed to work. So yeah. I, I have to support a large family. We have five kids. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's just one of those things, you know, where I want, I know I'm called to doing this. And so making sacrifices that, that might be a luxury of like, Oh, I want to be doing full-time art. And the truth is like, we made a good income full-time. I mean, the band really did support us in financially for years. Um, but it just wasn't, the art wasn't better. And my stress was higher about things that, that once upon a time were pure joy. And so I, I think finding a way and being, I don't know, self-aware enough or trying to be to say, you know what? I, I think I make better stuff when I do it this way and I'm happier about it. And it might mean, and, and I just had to find a way to do work that I enjoyed that would also pay the bills in order that all these things could be at their best and I could live a pretty well-balanced life, you know? And, and so that's kind of, I mean, it influenced our decisions as a band to, to close the book and open new ones. It influenced all kinds of things. Um, just, and, and I think that was true for all of us was just sitting, taking a step back and saying, what are we hoping to do? Not just for ourselves and for our families, but for the kingdom. And is this band now today, the best way to still continue doing that? Um, and, and I think our, our answer was no, I mean, this is, this is the right time to bring this to a close in order that it can be the tree that seeds other things. And, and that's really where we're at. That's a wonderful perspective. And, uh, it, in many ways, I've heard this a lot of times. It's better to be to be able to close the book yourself than to have somebody close it for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. But that's exactly. really uh, definitely a secondary consideration. From what I hear, is that it's it's really the right time for this transition. Well, I want to ask as we're wrapping up: is what's next for you, uh, you as an artist, uh, and just in general for you professionally? 
Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, we're, we pretty, we put out a record after the band had come to a close. So we recorded the show on the 29th and then have it out now. And the response has been encouraging and it's been interesting seeing people reaching out already to, to see if I could lead at this or that. And so I'm certainly doing that and um, have been really excited to be taking some folks from my church or like leading with folks on the ground who, you know, coming and working with the team. That's been fun. Um, so it's it, part of the change hasn't been, hey, we want to stop making music. It has been, hey, have we together said all we needed to say, given that we're like very good friends and able to be transparent with each other. And the answer to that was, yes, some folks didn't want to be in music anymore. And and, and we all wanted to get back to local ministry. So I've been involved in this church plant called the Village UMC down in Nashville, which it's been a year and a half and it's already six or 700 a week. Yeah. Um, and it's just been this phenomenal, I think in the Methodist church anyway, one of the fastest growing church plants in the country. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's been nuts. It's this weird mix of, which is very much where I'm at, but this weird mix of like modern, lively, not call it charismatic with a real small C, um, <laughs> yeah. worship with this liturgical rooting, you know? And, and that, that's been a big part of my DNA. I mean, coming from kind of an Anglican mama. And, and, and so it's just been this really cool, really cool thing that's been happening there and, and traveling and writing. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm eventually working on a record. I know Aaron is also going to be working on a solo record um, that I think is kind of a more straightforward rock thing. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it's an exciting season. I know Eric is a pastor at a church now in Hamilton. Um, a church plant, and Josh is involved in leadership at his church. Aaron took on a staff position at a church part-time uh, at an Anglican church in Hamilton with, with worship staff. So it, we've all gone back pretty quickly to the thing that drives us. Um, and I think the question is from here, you know, what else plays in? And, and, and like I said, for me, it's, a, it's mixing together a lot of different things because I, I probably wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and it's just partly how I'm wired and I enjoy that a lot. Um, but, but it, it, yeah, it, it's, it's an issue of just trying to do the best by what we do missionally and otherwise. And I think with this album, our hope is that that same, you know, you said something like it's better to close the book than it is to have someone close you, close it for you, which I love. I'm probably going to steal that. But, um, <laughs> but, but the way I've been putting it is I'd rather have four intentional albums than seven just because we could. Yeah. You know, I, th I think I think of The Office as a good example. You know, I, I always respected Ricky Gervais for doing what he knew he could do with the show and then saying, my best is done here and I'm moving on. And, you know, and while The American Office went on to do these these hilarious things, they also went on three seasons too long. Yes. And so you you get this sense that, like, if they had ended at the end of season four or something like that, they would have been one of the most brilliant television shows in history. You know, like when was the last time you watched an episode of The Simpsons? Last night. <laughs> oh, you did? Like a, a new a new episode? Yeah, because I have an eight-year-old who's really fascinated oh, by it. Oh, there you go. Okay, cool. Okay, but, but let, I, me, let, I'll let me answer the question again. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, 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 that's fine. It's, uh, no, because we were in Mexico and it came on. And it was one yeah. of the only shows that was in English when we were in Mexico. Oh, and my amazing. son discovered that and went, this is really funny. Um, but up until that point, 20 years. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So I, I think, and for me, I, I actually didn't realize the show hadn't ended. Right. So, so who wants to be that band? Uh, right. Nobody. Where, 
Yeah. Nobody. Where you still have, yeah, okay, maybe you've got some people, but but you don't matter. And and if you don't, and so in a sense, it's like it wasn't about popularity. It wasn't about reach. It wasn't about any of those things. It was just about like wanting to do intentional, purposeful things for the kingdom. Yes. Yeah. So for for us, that meant hey, we're involved in these church plants. We want to be spending more time with our families. And and even just the sheer economics of being in a real band. And by that, I mean, we were partners. So in a lot of bands and a lot of contracts, when you get in a record label, there's pressure to have the front man become the only business and then essentially hire the rest of the players. And in, right. in a lot of cases, that is what happens. We, we, we uh, rejected that the entire time. So we were an equal partnership. And the economics of that, in our case, meant that the sheer volume of work we would need to do, but touring and otherwise, in order to keep up a certain business level, yeah. um, was more than it is if each of us make our own records. And that that wasn't a motivating factor for us at all, to be honest. Otherwise, we would have done it earlier. Um, but it's it certainly is something to think about. You know, if you're, if you're an artist making music, it's like, how do I want this to work? I am... I am nothing short of grateful in every possible way for that I, for almost a decade, got to travel the world with some of my best friends and came out at the end of it closer friends than when we started. You know, that, that, that to me is an experience I will never resent. And we, we just had this incredible adventure together, you know? And so I think, you know, we were joking not too long ago. It's like, okay, so we're better friends now. There's no like dramatic breakup story we all ate dinner on our final tour together and laughed and joked. And the promoter thought it was hilarious because he said he'd done a few farewell tours and he'd never seen them eat dinner together. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was just one of those things. Right. So, so we get to the end and we were like, so what do we do now? This was like the night after we're sitting at Aaron's house and with our wives together. And he just, he was just like, do we need to like make some kind of annual barbecue or something? <laughs> like, what do we, what do we do? because we're still good friends who, who had this incredible experience together and, and there's not a whole lot of water on the bridge, you know? So it, it's just this, it's, it's, it's a neat, it's a neat time of life where there's a lot of options ahead of us. We all kind of have a sense of direction where we're going and, and we've found ourselves pretty quickly with our nose to the grind in terms of the church, which is what drove us in the first place. And I pray it's what continues to drive us. Awesome, Joe. Thanks so much for for uh, taking the time to talk with Elias, Sam's brother <laughs> from the City Harmonic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to to hear uh, him talk about the future. And um, honestly, his his pastor's heart still comes out because yeah. he was talking about uh, his local church plant and uh, what he's involved in. I believe he talked about being part of the the Wesleyan uh, community of believers, Methodist. Methodist, Methodist. Okay, that's right. There's a um, similar number of letters. I'm, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, my memory is terrible yeah. these days. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, he he's still involved in music, though. I mean, that's that's going to be the thing. Um, these guys were always slightly innovative anyways. They were a different sounding band. You know how you think of Coldplay mm -hmm. with piano-led music? That's what I thought of when I first heard them when they came yeah. out. Um, you know, a lot of that rhythmic piano playing. So 
they're definitely going to leave a bit of a void yeah. uh, because they never did things by the numbers. Yeah. That, that, that's what I remember of them and his energy. Um, yeah. Sort of, you know, jumping off the piano and, and doing all the theatrics. Um, I was proud of them as a Canadian because they did it well. And there's not that many Canadian artists and bands that, that get the exposure and can do it well and, and can be to the point where I think he even said, you know, they, they did their compilation of songs on their worship album and it was almost like a greatest yeah, hits. Yeah. But he's a bit cautious in saying that because he wasn't trying to be, you know, pretentious about it. But the reality is they, they did have a good tenure. Yeah, well, and uh, and I can't remember if this was recorded on the record or not. And I don't mean off, it was called out as off the record, but we talked for, gosh, like a good half hour, 40 minutes before we ever hit record. Uh, and the idea that as a band that the 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 revenue from the band sustained them without requiring them to do any additional work but one thing mm-hmm. and, and yeah. I, I recall now very specifically it was an interview but the other thing is is something that i've um said, said a, a number of times probably if not on the podcast and just in conversation is that be careful about looking for your art to be your source of revenue, because at the point where your livelihood is tied to that, you are uh, having to take a piece of your creativity and set it aside for the sake of ensuring that you have a consistent revenue stream. That's really challenging, and I appreciated how yeah. how he addressed that. Um, I just thought of yep. something that has nothing to do with Elias, or Sam's brother, for that matter. Uh, <laughs> and um, it's my hair. It's that... St- that photo that you shared the other day. The, I don't know <laughs> yes. why I suddenly thought of that, but I just had this vision of Napoleon Dynamite and going, that regret coming back, flowing over me and saying, thinking, <laughs> how did I think that the perm, <laughs> the perm was okay. Posing in my tracksuit was okay. Uh, on the... The glasses are a reality. Oh, yeah, but they were awful. Oh, man. I mean, just seriously. Yeah, but that was a time period No, and people right? keep giving me grace. It's like bell you're bottoms. you me grace for... No, it wasn't bell bottoms at that point. But you're giving me way too much <laughs> grace for just really poor discernment in terms of my own physical appearance. So, folks, if you don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> just go to the Facebook and you'll feed and you'll see it there. That is a... It's on our Instagram oh, as well. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> because Instagram feeds our Facebook, Joe. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, check that out. Yeah. It was an epic photo. It was it was one of those ones that my son was proud of. He's like, Dad, that is shareable. <laughs> yeah, it's going to show up uh, on one of those montages of this is a real senior picture. Can you believe it? You know, you've seen those. Like pro- these oh, are real yes. prom pictures. You yeah. know what I'll do next? I have my prom picture, <laughs> and I had a a white tuxedo with uh, with the long the long jacket instead of just the, the normal yeah. cut jacket. Yeah. And my date was wearing a mint green dress. Ooh. And so, did you wear a bow tie and a cummerbund? Mint green, yeah, to match, to match her? her. And I had the perm and wow. the glasses. So. 
Wow. And uh, I think I've mentioned this before. Sister Wives, that TV show. I don't know if you guys get it up there in mm-hmm. Canada, but... Heard of it. Haven't watched um, it. Cody Brown is the guy, um, the, the main guy on that. And he went to Lovell High School in Wyoming, where I went. And mm-hmm. my prom date in this picture is his sister. Okay. Yeah. So, wow. and she was awesome. Christy was a hoot. She was a good friend. We never really date. We didn't really date, um, but she was a good friend and she was really funny. So, um, so, so your picture could actually be show up on the IMDB database and Wikipedia in relation to her and totally ruin her career. Well, she, she doesn't have a career. <laughs> so we're, we're good. We're good. It's his sister, not him, not, not Cody. Cody's got a career and he doesn't seem really interested in talking to me about, uh, the fact that I took his uh, sister to prom. That's probably pretty fair because that was almost 30 years ago. Oh, oh, help me Lord. Okay. We should wrap up. I'm about it. What's really, really funny is I wore a white tuxedo for my prom. That was popular at that point though. White was the cool alternative. I think it was a Miami Vice thing. I don't know. It was, yeah, and I wore a red bow tie. That, yeah, that's a better choice, but still, still pretty questionable. <laughs> anyway, well, on that note, Joe, I think we uh, we got to pack it in. Um, you know, we look forward to some more content as we move into the yeah. fall. Um, we'll be ramping up some more interviews, and um, we'll have some more conversations. Um, you know, release time is going to start to happen as we get into the fall as mm-hmm. well. Um, I know a lot of the artists are currently working on albums. And um, so I look forward to new music coming out. Um, there's been a bit of a drought, I think, of, of new releases. Um, there's been a lot of revisits, a lot of bands coming out of the woodworks. Um, as far as new artists, though, it's been a little dry, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I've been under a rock. I have. <laughs> I have been under a rock. Uh, but I, but I will be, you know, you've got a couple of folks you're chatting with and our friend Pete and Jones from four years ago, I think it was four years ago, he's got a new book out yeah, was, and yeah. uh, I'm going to touch base with him. And then there's a guy named Mark Shelsky who's got a, a book out. Uh, I can't remember the name of the book, but uh, it just showed up in the mail. It was one of those things where I saw it and went, oh, I got to talk to this guy. He's talking about um, where the kind of the biblical context of our emotions and I figured for, for okay. me in my season, I'd really love to engage with him and uh, talk to him about uh, talk to him about that. So yeah, well, I know um, yeah Drew Dick as well from the West Coast, which you could actually drive and go interview him. I know, yeah. <laughs> he uh, he uh, has a new book coming out. He's just signed another deal, so um, yeah, he'll be dealing with a new topic, and uh, so we'll be talking to him shortly as well. All right, good stuff coming down right. the pike. But thank. Yeah, thanks, Joe, and I hope you have a good evening. I'm going to drink my tea in my Luke's Diner mug. Excellent. And uh, we get no compensation for the (laughs) Gilmore School reference. So, Gilmore Girls. There you go. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. Well, until next time, Joe. (laughs) Yeah, next time, hopefully soon. Have a good night. (laughs) Goodbye, all.
I don't know why you think that's so funny. Because I actually pr- can pronounce his name. <laughs> no, it's just realizing how much of an idiot I am. <laughs> <laughs>